Merkel Media. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. But the giant moves, he's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touch air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Yep. yep. to the show everybody You're listening to the confessionals podcast i'm your host tony merkel thanks for being here if you have a crazy wild experience you want to share with me on the show go ahead and shoot me an email my email address is contact at the confessionals podcast.com that's contact at the confessionals podcast.com or go to the website the confessionals podcast.com hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well either way it works for me just get a hold of me if you want more shows on a weekly basis go to the confessionals podcast.com hit the join button and become a member You'll get access to the bonus shows every Thursday for the members exclusively. You can also access the Tuesday shows ad-free and the overtime segments when they're available right there on the website and on the Confessionals app. That's a members app only for the members. If that interests you, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com slash join. Also, friends, go ahead and check out The Shape of Shadows. Me and my team went out to Utah, the Uinta Basin, and hunted the Skinwalker for a week. We uncovered a lot of wild things, trackways that seemed to transform, ritual circles that we were told were actual Skinwalker ritual circles, UFOs galore in the sky, and we were even chased by unknown entities in other vehicles. We're not sure who it was, but they definitely chased us, and we got that all right there for you on The Shape of Shadows. Go to Merkle.media if you want to see that film because it is exclusively available on Merkle.media. Just hit the stream now button and you'll be good to go. All right, friends, listen, we have James Shupsky coming on the show today and he has so much stuff to talk about that him and I are going to have to do multiple recordings. But today we talk about the Clickitat Ape Cat of Washington State. What is that? Not many people know. He started uncovering this phenomenon not too long ago, but his theories are very sound as to why this thing could possibly even exist because it might be some kind of government secret guardian for a government facility. So let's get to James and the Clickitat Ape Cat right now.
All right. Today we have James Shupsky. Sir, how are you? I'm doing great yourself. I'm doing good. So I want to kind of give the audience a little bit here of a back backstory of how you and I were supposed to meet and never did. Uh, <laughs> we, I, we, uh, I, I think I told the audience of earlier this year that I went out to Washington to shoot a film. If you haven't heard about that, yes, we went and shot a film. We went to uh, Wes Germer's encounter location where he had his uh, radical Bigfoot encounters. And uh, we did a whole documentary out there. And part of that journey was meeting you. Only I wasn't there because uh, my my flight left Knoxville just a tad late. And we are just flying east to Charlotte to catch a flight in Charlotte to go to Portland. And it's, a tw- it's literally a 20-minute flight from Knoxville to Charlotte. And I'm running through the Charlotte airport. And I'm sweating. I'm drenched in sweat, and I'm breathing. And I listen. I don't run a whole lot, so I, I ran like a <laughs> hundred feet, and I was already winded. And I get to the gate, and I'm two minutes. I got two minutes for my flight, you know. And I was like, "Yes, I made it." I run up. There's no plane, and I said, "Lady, where's the plane?" And she's like, "Oh, that left 15 minutes ago." I'm like, "Why are you saying it's a certain time if you're leaving 15 minutes early?" And I was just like, "Oh no!" And they they had I had to sleep there in Charlotte overnight and catch a flight out in the morning, and so I missed a whole day of of filming, which was you. And so this is actually really great because I felt like I missed out a lot on that day, and I was really miserable. I mean, anybody could ask the guys when when they came and actually picked me up at the airport. <laughs> I walked into the RV. And everybody was just quiet. And like Ward had his camera to film picking me up at the airport. And as soon as he saw my face, he just put the camera down. <laughs> he was like, we're not, we're not going to capture this on footage. <laughs> and I was mad. Uh, but here we are. And you are somebody who has a ton of information about the Columbia River Gorge. So what I want to do is kind of hand it over to you and just let people know who you are and where they can find some of your stuff. And then we'll get into the topics of conversation. Sure. Um, yeah, my name is James Sheepsky, and I run an outdoor store in the Columbia River Gorge. Uh, it's uh, Margie's Outdoor Store. Um, and my wife and I took it over uh, probably two and a half years ago when my mother-in-law passed away. So we inherited these businesses. And um, so I have been a longtime adventurer, and uh, I was a yeah, U.S. Army infantry soldier, wildland forest firefighter, mountain guide, search and rescue EMT. And to come to the Columbia River Gorge uh, was sort of like winning the lottery. And because um, uh, for your listeners who may not know, the gorge, uh, the Columbia River forms the border between Washington State and Oregon State. And it runs right through the middle of the Cascade Mountains. And back in the 80s, Um, This place is so jaw-droppingly beautiful that the U.S. Congress created a new bipartisan law to protect it in a special way, and it became the nation's first national scenic area. And to give you just a little bit of a description, so the gorge is about 80 miles long, and it is the only sea level passage through uh, the Cascade Mountains. So we can go from sea level to 3,000 feet and a half a mile. We're surrounded by stratovolcanoes, so 50 miles from our store, we've got three stratovolcanoes, uh, Mount St. Helens, which erupted in the 80s, Mount Adams, which is a huge UFO hotspot, and Mount Hood, which is famous for Bigfoot sightings. So, um, And then the gorge is just beautiful. There are 80 waterfalls, named waterfalls on the Oregon side alone. There are caves 
the west side of the mountains is rainforest. The east side is desert. I mean, from an, from an adventurous perspective, you couldn't get any cooler. And so we opened this store. And um, so it was not exactly an outdoor store when we got it. And because of all my experience, I thought, oh, I can make a run at that and be successful. Well, right away, people started coming in and telling us Sasquatch stories and UFO stories and even stranger things than that. And, you know, based on some experiences I've had, I recognize that um, oftentimes there can be some truth behind these stories. And I was really fascinated. So we put up a big sign in the window and said, file your paranormal reports here. And, you know, Sasquatch sightings, ghost encounters, UFO experiences, you know, temporal anomalies, you name it, we wanted to hear about it. And I gave some really specific instructions to the staff. I said, we are going to treat everyone who comes in um, with the utmost respect. And we are going to, you know, listen to their story. We're not going to try to insert what we believe they saw into their story. Um, we're going to ask intelligent follow-up questions. And we're going to be a safe place for people to report their unusual encounters. And to be honest with you, I had no idea what we we're going to do with this information. It just seemed like a really interesting project. Well, holy cow. So it's been a little over a year and a half that we've been doing this. And we have easily over 220 reports at this time. And uh, it, like I said, it spans the gamut. Um, tons of UFO stories, lots of Bigfoot stories. Um, and then we have over 70 reports of this enormous black panther creature we call the Klickitat ape cat. And to me, that was... It's one of the most interesting and fascinating, and and I think it's one of the things that's a little bit unique to this area. Yeah, I, and that's what we went out there to talk to you about, and uh, we're we're months away from that. I mean, probably at least six months away from that filming, and I still cannot say that name. And I, I'm going to give it another <laughs> shot. Click a tat, ape cat. I I, I just you got it. I just nailed it. Uh, it takes me yeah. to, to write it out how it sounds and read it very slowly because I'm like mentally like a fifth grader. So it is what it is. Uh, but yep. I, I'm I'm really interested in this. When when the guys told me about what they talked to you about, I was like, I was I was even more mad. I was just I was I was actually furious and because I, I I missed it. And so uh, if we could just launch off into this kind of discussion about the click a tat ape cat. Uh, and we can talk about other things as well, but um, because one thing for sure, uh, in the email that was sent over to me, the portal idea, I was like, oh yeah, yep, got to talk about that too. <laughs> so uh, if we could though, start off with the Clickitat Ape Cat, because you know this was something that I had never heard of before, and it's just very fascinating. And the fact that you have so many reports is even even more wild. It's not just a one-off. Yeah. Yeah, so just a little bit of background. Um, we're uh, my store is located in Bingen, Washington, which is in Klickitat County, and um, it's named after the Klickitat Indians. Um, and we have a big river that flows off of Mount Adams called the Klickitat River. Um, so that's where that name comes from. But um, yeah, so this was not long after we had started this paranormal reporting. Um, you know, we put up the sign and did everything else and it was close to closing time. And a guy came in the store and, um, his family and Margie, Margie's my mother-in-law were pretty, uh, she had helped him out. She was, a uh, she had a medical background and their family had some issues and she was able to help them out. And so there was a little bit of a family connection with this guy. 
I had never met him before. It took him about 45 minutes to work up the courage to tell me his story. Um, and once he finally launched into it, I was just fascinated by what he was saying. So he was orienteering. Uh, that's, you know, uh, practicing with a map and compass out in the wilderness areas. And um, it was about uh, maybe three, four miles from the store. Uh, it's a tributary of the White Salmon River, which also flows off Mount Adams, um, called Buck Creek. And um, he noticed that his compass started acting strange. Now, that by itself is not entirely uncommon. When you look at the navigation maps of the gorge, there are bright pink letters on them. Uh, and the government says, warning, your compass readings will be off in this area. Yeah, there's a lot of magnetic anomalies here. So that's an interesting data point. And he continues, and he said, uh, not long after that incident with the compass, he looked up, and across the creek was this enormous, very muscular black cat with a long black tail. And he said that it stood four to five feet tall at the shoulder. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, wow. Uh, this is a pretty remarkable tale. Of course, we have cougars out here, um, but cougars typically are not going to get much bigger than 24, 26 inches at the shoulder. And uh, cougars are never supposed to be black. Um, you know, when cougar expresses its melanin, it goes from tan to a reddish color. And uh, since this report, we've talked to wildlife experts and they say, yeah, there's no such thing as black cougars. They're just not a thing. Um, they're not recognized by science, at least. Um, so this coloration is a strange piece. The size is a strange piece. Those are two flags telling me we've got something going on here. He continues to describe this animal. Um, and he says, and he watched it for about five minutes and it looked right at him. So here's another anomalous data point. Um, cougars will abandon a fresh kill at the sound of human voices. And for a, a big cat to remain in his presence and not be spooked by him, it's another big clue that we're not dealing with a cougar. He said that the fur was four to five inches long and it stood straight out from its body. Um, okay, so again, not sounding like a cougar to me. And then he finally worked up the courage. He said, and, and James, the strangest thing is that it had a face that looked like a monkey. And I was like, whoa, whoa what, does, what does that mean? And you know, I pressed him for details. He said that it had intelligent ape-like eyes and some other primate features. There's a few of the details of his story that I always keep um, quiet so that I can check other people's stories and see if they're matching up. But basically, um, that was my first ever um, report of this thing we came to call the Clickitat Ape Cat. I was completely fascinated. You know, uh, for me, and this is my own personal assessment, the guy was genuinely reporting an experience that he had had, right? So, um, there's a number of ways that you can tell when people are telling tall tales. And, you know, when we started this project, we expected folks to come in and have some fun with us and, you know, tell some um, uh, more playful tales. Turns out not many people actually do. Most of the people that come in genuinely have had some kind of unusual experience. Uh, and they're very thankful that we have a place where that's a, where it's a safe place to tell those stories. Um, and so I was just amazed and I thought, this is really, uh, I had never heard of anything like this before, just like you. And I was excited. And so, uh, the next morning I was talking to my staff about it and, um, uh, I was describing the creature and describing the incident. And one of my employees, uh, as she heard the story started shaking very clearly, emotionally 
impacted by this story. Now, the thing you have to understand about Missy is that she is um, as honest as the day is long. She is the kind of person that even feels guilty about playing practical jokes on her coworkers because that's kind of like lying and she's kind of not into that. Um, and here she was standing before me listening to this story and I could tell that she was having a genuine emotional response to it. I said, Missy, what's going on? She says, oh my God, James, I've seen that creature myself. Um, it was dawn and she was driving to work down Klickitat Canyon. So like I said, there are two main rivers that flow off the glaciers of Mount Adams. One is the White Salmon River, which is where the first um, encounter was reported. And then Missy's encounter is off the Klickitat River, um, which is on sort of the eastern side of, of the store, about 10 minutes away from where we are. And uh, she said that she saw this really big black cat with a long black tail walking near the side of the road. Uh, she was so astonished by it that she pulled her car over and watched it. She said that it walked into a small patch of tall grass and then she never saw it again. And she wondered if she should get out of her car and talk to the people who lived in the houses nearby to say, hey, there's this giant black predator prowling around near your home. And she figured out, they think, oh, crazy. And so she, she never did that. Uh, she did get out of her car and do a little investigation. Didn't, didn't find any, any real clues. She told her family about it. And they all kind of laughed nervously. Um, they told her that she had probably seen a cow. Now, <laughs> there's a couple things about that. I mean, first of all, we all have this instinctive reaction when we hear stuff that we've never heard of before to normalize it. Like you, you life is hard enough. You don't need giant black cats prowling around your neighborhood. And so, um, but this happens a lot with folks um, is that they'll hear a story and they'll make a snap decision this is what it is. It's something that I know. It's nothing unusual. And that way they can sort of reset, keep the world the way it is for them. And, and people do that to themselves. Like they'll have an extraordinary encounter and then they'll talk themselves out of it. So Messi's family told him that it wasn't a cat. It was probably a cow. And just on its face, like this is a grown woman. It'd be like if you were in town and you saw someone drive by in a red Lamborghini and uh, you told your friends, hey, I saw a red Lamborghini. And they said, nah, Lamborghinis are pretty rare. What you probably saw is a red minivan. Like, <laughs> it's, like it's just ridiculous. Um, so after the response of her family, she decided she wasn't going to tell anyone about it. And so it had been a couple of years and she'd been holding this secret inside of her and she didn't know what to do with this information. And when uh, she heard someone else had had a similar experience, um, it was an enormous, like, cathartic event for her, right? And so, to me, Missy's account is 100% credible. And, you know, uh, other people can have their own opinions about it. But um, in my mind, there's no question that she was being genuine and honest in her report. Unfortunately, she didn't get a look at its face. So she didn't, the uh, ape-like uh, face structure wasn't a part of her report. So, from that point... I thought, wow, this is a full-on Scooby-Doo mystery. Um, let's see what we can do to, to figure out more about it. And um, so, you know, the store has a radio advertising budget, and the gorge is a pretty rural area. There's maybe, I don't know, half a dozen, six to eight towns here, 70 to 80,000 people live here. So it's not a enormously densely populated area. 
And uh, radio is still a pretty effective way to advertise. And so we put up ads on the radio that said, has anyone else seen a giant black cat crawling around Cricketack County? And I put up uh, flyers at the trailheads and asked people to come into the store and file any reports. And since then, we've had over 70 reports. Um, And so we've had senior law enforcement officials uh, tell us that they've seen the animal. um, And lots of credible folks uh, have come in. And um, so the reports go back 30 to 40 years. And uh, so when you look at the lifespan of like a tiger or a cougar, uh, they really max out at 15 years, many times much younger than that. So we're talking about um, something that seems to either have a particularly long life or is reproducing. One report, a gentleman said that he saw it in his driveway and it had a cub with it. So it had a young new, um, like a kitten, uh, basically a black, same black coloration. Um, and so that's leading me to believe that we have a reproducing population of these creatures out here. Um, you know, we've had, uh, so of those 70 or so reports, um, about half of them explicitly describe an enormous size that four to five feet tall at the shoulder size. Um, so that's bigger than a tiger, which is the largest living cat on the planet right now. Uh, I did a little research. There is only one animal in the fossil record that matches anything near that size. And it uh, is an Ice Age American lion. Uh, scientific name is the Panthera atrox. And these creatures were estimated to be uh, between 1,000 and 1,200 pounds. Um, and interestingly, they had the largest brain capacity of any cat that's ever existed. Um, so... Uh, the fossil record is pretty solid. Uh, 80 specimens were found in the La Brea tar pits. Um, they were definitely Washington state was within their range, but, you know, according to science, they died out, you know, 9,000, 10,000 years ago, uh, sort of at the end of the younger driest time frame. Uh, so that sort of, um, was my initiation into this. And, you know, as we're going along, um, so like I said, about half of the reports say that it's got this enormous size. Everyone says that it's very muscular looking. And then a handful of reports, and it's not more than 10, say that it's got these monkey-like features on the face. And, you know, you have to understand, you know, my process has been, you know, these reports come walking through the door and um, people now stop me in the street or in the grocery store or at the post office and tell me their stories. And I'll get my mind around the fact, well, you know, maybe the monkey thing was just a strange trick of light or some kind of weird, you know, observational issue. And then I'll get another really strong report. I got a report from um, a fire crew chief. So these were folks that were fighting wildland forest fires up between Mount Adams and Mount St. Helens. They said the whole crew saw this thing on the first day of a three-day outing, and they were worried about what they would do if it ever showed up in their camp. And they were very explicit about that monkey-like face. Now, their description was a little more helpful. They said that uh, it had a flattened snout. So, like, if you can imagine the difference between, like, a German shepherd and a pug dog, same kind of animal, but one's face is just doesn't have that longer snout. And so, in my mind, like, it could be some kind of mutant um, or it could be something else. There's some really 
interesting explanations where it may come from. You know, we've got some Native American stories. There are some possibilities that it has to do with extraterrestrial beings, um, which is kind of an interesting story. And I think one of the most interesting leads that we have is that it may have escaped from the Hanford nuclear site, which is uh, just upriver from Klickadat County. So this was part of the Manhattan Project. And during the Cold War, they had this enormous animal testing program. And so there's a pretty solid case to be made that it may have escaped from one of their um, experiments. Wow. Wow. So this could be possibly something that was created by man in experimental labs. That's very possible. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I can kind of launch into that story. Please. Um, if you're aiming to get the question, where'd you get that? This holiday season, Uncommon Goods is your ultimate ally. Uncommon Goods simplifies your holiday shopping, carefully curating an assortment of the most extraordinary and genuinely unique gifts from around the world suitable for every individual on your list. Whether your gift recipient is your secret Santa or a member of your entire family, Uncommon Goods has precisely what they desire. Recently, I visited their website while planning ahead for December, given the numerous birthdays and Christmas celebrations approaching. However, I couldn't resist treating myself to a little something while browsing. The 45-second omelet maker was too irresistible, especially considering the number of eggs I consume because of my flock of chickens. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash Tony. That's uncommongoods.com slash Tony for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. Again, you know, I'm, I've got my own process on trying to figure out what the heck this thing is. And, you know, we have petroglyphs in the area that indicate that it may have been seen for thousands of years in the area. But um, I learned that, uh, so during World War II, um, the Allies were terrified the Nazis would unlock the secrets of the atom before uh, the Allies did, right? Uh, and so they started the Manhattan Project. Everyone understands that the big thing they were trying to go for was to build the bomb. And so you had the team in Los Alamos, and their job was to design the weapon. But then you had this team up in Washington State, and their job was to build the reactors that would forge the plutonium that would be used in the bombs. And so the U.S. government basically scooped up 600 square miles of land along the Columbia River. And it chose that site because it was fairly desolate. It had hydropower that they needed. Uh, so there's a big dam up there. And it also had the water that they needed to cool uh, the reactors. And so this is a super top secret program. They build this enormous first industrial scale reactor in the world, and they're creating elements that don't exist, right? And so the Nazis are, they're worried about them building the bomb, but the Nazis are also super interested in creating super soldiers and super animals. Um, they had specially trained 200,000 dogs to fight alongside German soldiers during World War II. They had experiments doing telepathy with animals, but they were also very interested in creating super animals. There's a very credible story that they resurrected an extinct Ice Age uh, 
bull called the aurochs and this is a hyper aggressive gigantic bull and they actually through retro breeding and a number of other weird nazi things they uh, actually recreated this extinct ice age creature and they populated a forest in poland with it and so the allies are looking at that and they're thinking geez we don't know everything about radiation this is you know 1940s uh, early 1940s but we do know that it can induce mutations. And if the Nazis get a hold of something like that, we better be prepared for it. So from day one, Hanford has got this animal testing lab. And the guy they choose to run it is a guy from the University of Washington named Dr. Lauren Donaldson. And Donaldson, his only academic claim to fame is that he had created a thing called the Donaldson Super Trout. It's a super animal. Basically, he, through nutrition and retro breeding and all these other techniques, had created a trout that is eight times larger and stronger than a normal trout. It reaches sexual maturity in half the time. It's super survivable. It can swim in fresh water and salt water. And so these ant, these super trout, these Donaldson super trout are still a viable species. He's the guy that they tapped to run the animal testing lab at Hanford from day one. So we win the war. Um, they produce the plutonium that's in the first ever atomic bomb during the Trinity test. And then the bomb that was dropped in Nagasaki uh, we roll into the Cold War. Um, they ramp up production. They've got nine nuclear reactors going there simultaneously. And the animal testing lab grows to be able to house a thousand large animals. So this is a, I've seen like 1960s propaganda films that call it the atomic zoo. On the surface level, they're saying that they're experimenting on livestock to see what happens. Like, can you drink cow's milk after it's been irradiated and stuff like that? Um, and so this is a pretty major part of their system out there. Eventually Donaldson goes to the South Pacific and he gets involved in things like the Castle Bravo test and Bikini Atoll and all that weird stuff that gave rise to the, you know, Godzilla mythology and all that kind of stuff. He stays in contact with Hanford, which is then taken over by a guy named Bill Baer. And so Bill died in 2014, but he left behind some oral histories of his activities running the animal testing lab. And in three different videos, he describes how they were experimenting on apex predators, which eventually escaped and they were unable to recapture. So he tells the story <laughs> of how they were irradiating alligators. They had between 20 and 30 alligators um, there at Hanford. He even holds up a picture of the device they use to irradiate these creatures, right? And so, obviously, alligators are not native to North America. There's no, like, no one eats alligator meat. You don't need, you don't milk alligators. So, what the hell are they doing with alligators um, at this nuclear site? Well, one night, um, six of these experimental apex predators outsmart the scientists and escape from their pens and they get into the Columbia river. So um, this is a giant PR nightmare, right? Because earlier one of these creatures had escaped. It was caught by a fisherman. They wound up um, stuffing it and putting it into a um, sporting goods store. But the thing was radioactive. And so they had to send a team out there to get this, to, you know, to, to confiscate this radioactive alligator carcass. Well, so when the six of them escaped, they decided they were going to put up a, a press release. And so there's records in the newspaper that this event happened. So to me, like 
this is credibility 10 out of 10. Yeah. Like you've got historical documentation. There's no, this isn't like some kind of James's fantasy about the stuff they were doing out there. So they've got these alligators swimming around in the Columbia. They have this covert army hunting team and every day it goes out. And for six months, they're hunting these alligators. Eventually they kill four of them and it gets to be from July to January. And by January, they say, ah, there's no way these things will survive. Can we call off the hunt? And so they stop hunting for the last two irradiated experimental apex predators. So these things are swimming around out there. And of course, the water that comes out of these nuclear reactors is really, really warm. Like there's a hundred percent chance that a gator could survive in the Columbia River from the effluvium coming out of these reactor cores. And, and of course, coming out of the reactor cores, that water is also hot and radioactive. So <laughs> anyway, Bill Bear continues his tale and he says, you know, and he tells about a couple of different incidents where he was asked if he knew anything about alligators swimming in the Columbia River. And like on this interview, he's like, well, this guy from Fish and Wildlife called me up on the uh, other side of the river, asked me if I knew anything about alligators. I told him no and hung up. And then he laughs about it. And so, like, you got to understand, like, this is during the Cold War. All kinds of crazy stuff is going on. All right. So, what does all that have to do with alligators or big cats? Well, we have to talk about dolphins before we can talk about big cats. Perfect. I love so, this. I love this. <laughs> so, since 1958, um, the U.S. government has used dolphins to guard our most secret and important nuclear sites, right? So right now I'm told that a quarter of the nuclear stockpile is guarded by dolphins. The reason many of our sensitive nuclear sites are on waterways. Um, so you need that water for cooling if you've got reactors, but like the Bangor sub base up on the Olympic peninsula here in Washington state, um, they, if it was its own country, uh, Washington state would be the third largest nuclear power in the world because of all of the nuclear missiles we have at this sub base, but they're terrified of Soviet uh, back in the cold war, Soviet scuba divers, especially with night vision goggles, infiltrating the site, surveilling it, sabotaging it, whatever. And so with sonar, you can't tell the difference between a Soviet scuba diver and a tuna or a sea lion or whatever. Right. So, but if you, they realize you can train a dolphin and a dolphin can figure it out, identify the diver, and they would rig this special like harpoon-like thing that attached to the dolphin's snout. And the dolphins were trained to swim and then ram into the diver. So that barbed harpoon goes into the flesh of the diver. A balloon inflates and it brings that diver to the surface and then the Navy can scoop them up and you know gather intelligence from it. I mean, a dead diver at the bottom of the ocean doesn't do you any good. You really kind of want to know who was yeah. peeking at you and what they were doing. So we know that the government is using animals to guard our nuclear sites. And in fact, um, Hanford itself had four Nike missile launch sites and Nike missiles are surface to air nuclear tipped anti-aircraft weapons. Um, so the thought during the cold war, just to give you a sense of how crazy things were, the U S military determined it was better to detonate nuclear weapons over civilian populations than allow Soviet bombers to bomb Hanford, right? So better for us to do the detonation rather than to take out our core important site. So every one of those um, Nike missile sites is guarded by dogs. And when you look at the literature and that, they say that 
one guard dog is better than 10 human soldiers in terms of being a sentinel. So if you're a cold warrior and your job is to protect this Hanford nuclear site, you've got 90 miles of river coastline that you need to protect. And how in the heck are you going to do that? You can't bring dolphins in there because dolphins are saltwater operators and the Columbia River is freshwater. So you're going to try, okay, what creatures can we use? Alligators might be an option, but you're going to ask yourself the simple question, what is the best riverine hunter in the world? Turns out it's a black jaguar. So when you go down to South America, so jaguars live in North America, but their range is a thousand miles south of Klickitat County. Um, but, you know, in the Amazon and in the uh, riverways of Central America, these black jaguars are the top of the predators and um, they are incredibly adept in water. They can hold their breath for 15 minutes. They can eat underwater. They uh, can swim over a kilometer in the open ocean, pound for pound. They're the strongest of the big cats. Um, they can kill alligators with a single bite to the back of the head. Uh, it's a single piercing. They don't go for the throat. It's a single bite to the head. Um, they have night vision that's six times better than a human being. And as a bonus, they always instinctively drag their prey to shore. So if you are going down a checklist of what animal are we going to convert into a sentry creature to guard our most important nuclear site? And just to give you a sense of scope and scale, enough plutonium was forged at Hanford to build 60,000 nuclear weapons. Wow. All right. So like, this was our number one nuclear fuel production site. There was nothing that they wouldn't do to guard it, right? And during the Cold War, and it's run uh, by the Department of Energy. There's a couple of different organizations that the Department of Energy was before it was a Department of Energy. But basically, Department of Energy are the same guys that, you know, that show Stranger Things. Like, they're the ones doing that. And so the Department of Energy has got a whole different top secret classification system than um, like the U.S. military, it's highly compartmentalized. And so if you don't need to know this particular piece of information to do your job, you're not going to hear it, no matter what your clearance is. And the U.S. government has even forgotten some of the way, some of the things that you need to do to build nuclear weapons because those people aged out or died from their jobs. And so you've got these highly compartmentalized programs go going on there. And so it is not unreasonable to think that what happened was they were trying to create a sentinel black panther program um they're probably using some of lauren donaldson's animal enhancement techniques right um they're already doing those kinds of experiments with the alligators those creatures they were unable to contain just like the alligators they escaped from the scientist captivity um they got into the wild and they were unable to recapture them. And so when you look at the geography of the area, north, east, and south of Hanford is all sort of high plains desert, crappy, crappy habitat. But as you move west towards Klickitat County and the Cascade Mountains, um, you've got this incredible diversity of habitat, uh, lots of prey animals, um, lots of places for big cats to live and thrive. And so the if you don't want to evoke some type of supernatural reason why these creatures are in Clickadet County, it's not unreasonable to think that they are uh, experimental apex predators that 
escape from this Hanford nuclear site. That's incredible. That's incredible. It, like I don't, I don't want to hear any other theories. That's the one I want. That's <laughs> like, like the, that's that's what happened. Okay, we've we've solved it here. We picked the best, most amazing angle, and we're running with it. Uh, that is crazy, and it makes total sense from my perspective, and probably a ton of people that listen to the show that live out there. I I have never. I came from Pennsylvania, moved to Tennessee. When I went from Pennsylvania to Tennessee, the woods were similar, but down here it's different. The woods are thicker, they're larger. I live, I see the Smoky Mountains every day. I'm right there. Uh, when I went out to Washington to film, and the guys were out there filming with you that week, we were in the woods out there in the mountains. I had never saw such <laughs> wild lands in my entire life. I, I, I was like, this is a whole other world. Like th this is not. You're not kidding. This is an America. This can't be America. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the thing about Hanford, so it closed down in the '80s, and it's now like the nation's worst uh, Superfund uh, cleanup site. So the through decades and decades of nuclear production, it's not just the nuclear waste. There's all kinds of chemicals that were they were using to strip the plutonium from the molecules and. It's a huge mess out there. And there's a whole set of folks that now are doing like studies. And, you know, I've talked to wildlife biologists who had contract jobs out there. One guy's job was to track radioactive bunny poop because what would happen is that these rabbits would sit next to these barrels because they were warm, right? They would get irradiated and then they hop all around and wherever they leave droppings, those droppings are radioactive. But the thing about these rabbits, and again, we're talking about a vast range, like 600 square miles is half the size of Rhode Island. Like it is an enormous facility. But those rabbits are now prey for, um, you know, cougars and coyotes. Uh, we just now are hearing about wolves reentering the um, Columbia River Gorge and rattlesnakes. And this guy said, you know, I was out there and I saw a rattlesnake with three eyes. Wow. So like weird stuff is going on, you know, even if it's just that. And even now there is a facility. So they closed down the Hanford nuclear production, but there's the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory out there. And there's this facility called the LIGO stands for the Laser Inter Interferometer Gravitational Observatory. And basically there are these two mile long tubes vacuum tubes and they're set perpendicular to each other they've got these lasers these are the highly precise measuring instruments and stated on their website is their purpose is to look for anomalies in the space-time continuum and a week after they turned this thing on they found anomalies in the space-time continuum so like hanford is as crazy a place as you could get right and there is no telling what kind of weird um, beyond the biology that we can imagine, like what other things were they doing out there um, and where these, these things come from. Uh, so the reason why I say that is there's a native American story about a race of underwater Panther protector. Um, they're called the Mishepishu. And, these Meshepishu, like when the Native Americans talk about beings that are underwater or from the sky realm or from the earth realm, they're talking about something that has one foot in the physical world that we know every day and one foot in the spiritual world. 
spirit realms, other dimensions. I'm not sure there's a difference, um, just a way of how you look at it. So there's this very long tradition of these Meshepeshu, um, and the description of these creatures is that it looks like a, like a panther with the face of a man. And I thought, geez, that sounds an awful lot like our ape cat that we have here. And there's a place called Horse Thief Butte. So this is on the desert side. It's maybe 19, 20 minutes away from the store. From the road, it looks like a classic desert mesa, you know, high walls, flat top, desert surroundings. But when you get up into it, um, it is riddled with a labyrinth of hidden passageways and amphitheaters. There are petroglyphs on the walls. It was part of the, um, it was formed, that's a long story about how it was formed, but most recently we had those great ice age floods. You probably heard Randall Carlson or mm-hmm. Graham Hancock talk about these ice age floods that flowed across Washington state. Floods so big, they're equal to the flow of all rivers on earth combined times 10. And as they get to the gorge, they're over a thousand feet deep and they're running 60, 70 miles an hour carrying icebergs and boulders and trees and everything else scouring the landscape. Well, it forms this butte. And so you've got the butte and then there's a sort of a flat land, maybe a couple hundred yards, and then it drops off another cliff and there's Horse Thief Lake. Well, before we had received any reports, before we started the whole sign and the receiving reports in the store, I was exploring Horse Thief Butte. And I looked down into that lake, five, 600 yards away, and I saw this creature swimming in the lake. There were ducks on the lake, so I could generally estimate its size. It was dark in color. It was easily larger than a man, but smaller than a car. And it was sort of patrolling the center of the lake. It would submerge for five minutes at a time and come back up. I thought, what in the hell is that thing? You know, like I said, I've spent ages in the woods. Um, I know my wildlife pretty well. And um, I could rule out a bear because bears are point-to-point swimmers. They don't submerge. It's not the kind of behavior you'd expect to see there. Um, The only other creature that size around here would be an elk. Um, But elk, obviously, are not submerging. Not the kind of creatures that would submerge or patrol the center of a lake. Again, a point-to-point swimmer. We've got sturgeon out here that might be that size, but they don't spend any time on the surface. You know, they're like, you can, we have sturgeon out here that are 12 feet long. But, um, they do, and this is in a lake, not in the river proper. So I just chalked it below. I don't know what the hell that thing is, but it's weird. Well, just on the other side of Horse Thief Lake is this set of petroglyphs. I think the guys and I went out there when uh, they were filming. And on one of those petroglyphs, there's this image of a cat head with wavy water lines under its head. Um, and it looks for all the world like a underwater panther. So there's that component where there may be, um, you know, for me to have had this eyewitness sighting, again, I'm, I don't know what I saw. It was only after the fact that I sort of backwards somersaulted into thinking, it, well, it might have been this cat. Uh, and then to find these petroglyphs, like it's a, basically a straight line from where I was sitting to where I saw the creature in the water to where the petroglyphs are. And so that's another component that um, is a part of the story. You know, interestingly, uh, there are no hostile encounters reported. Of those 70 reports, um, nobody says that they were ever threatened or that the creature ever approached them in a menacing way. Uh, people are, of course, startled, excited, 
uh, frightened just because there's a giant animal running around, but it has never made aggressive moves towards people, uh, which again, um, who knows why that is, but uh, just a fascinating phenomenon. And to be honest with you, I don't know what I'm talking about. Like this thing <laughs> um, <laughs> is, uh, it's exciting. Uh, just in July, a woman at the east, excuse me, the west end of the gorge posted on a closed like community page, you know, like a neighborhood will have their neighborhood page. And it shows, she said, what is this? It's this big black animal with cat-like movements. It's a mammal. It's not a house cat. And and according to, and she has video of it up on her Facebook feed in this um, community page. So from from my perspective, there is no question that we have some type of creature crawling around Clickitat County. Um, and in fact, the whole Columbia River Gorge area. And um, the next step for me is really finding video proof. I've gotten with my lawyers and we've come up with, um, we're going to offer a reward for um, good video footage of the ape cat here coming up in the wow. next couple of months. You're about to have everybody out there looking for the ape cat. I'm telling you, this is, this is <laughs> fascinating. And it, what I found interesting is earlier you mentioned about how uh, with um, Hanford, them using animals to, to guard the facility. And that's something that might extend to other areas in this country as well. Uh, yeah. We have the, the famous Oak Ridge fi- facility here in Tennessee, uh, where mm-hmm. they developed the nuclear bomb at, and it's highly secured area. And when they were building it, you know, it, it's known as the, the secret city. Because when they were building it, the mm-hmm. locals didn't even know they were building it. It's like they didn't know it was there. Yeah. And so one thing that I was told when I first came here is that these old-time farmers that are starting to die off, I mean, they're really not around anymore. I mean, we're talking like guys who are in their 80s and 90s would say that when they were young and Oak Ridge was being built, there was this uptick of these white, upright-walking, ape-like creatures, like Bigfoot, in these areas. Wow. And uh, that was back in, you know, in the 1900s. And they're like, it was, it was, that's a very specific description, white Bigfoot creatures. And then as I've been out here, I have, uh, I I just spoke at the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Conference a few months ago. And this was part of my talk, how there are a lot of people that to this day experience seeing a white Bigfoot creature throughout the state. It's specifically the, the, the eastern part of the state, like not just East Tennessee, but from East Tennessee to like Central Tennessee, there's this, this mm-hmm. white Bigfoot feature people are, are seeing. And I just wonder if that was something that was created. I, and not to say that all Bigfoot creatures are created by, by people in labs, but yeah. I definitely think that, you know, like you, you've established on this show how people uh, in authority positions will use science to create their own little creatures and if they know that if they know that Bigfoot is even a real creature, why not try to create it to be something that you want it to be? And on that point, so you mentioned about how the Clickitat ape cat uh, is something that people are seeing, but it's not pursuing, it's not chasing people, it's not doing anything threatening. Do you think that maybe mm-hmm. if it is a, a created creature, that it was actually created to be more of a docile creature that only acts under its own training so that they could have been able to train it to act specifically towards things 
that they wanted it to, but in, in general, it's more just a docile creature. That's interesting theory. Makes sense. That's something I hadn't contemplated before. Wow, that's kind of a new puzzle piece as far as I'm concerned. Well, there you go. What a neat way to think about it. <laughs> um, yeah, because this notion of uh, what is this thing um, and what, because you would think a cat that big um, would definitely find humans as prey. But if it's part of a training program, it that would be the exact opposite of what you'd want. Like you wouldn't want it to automatically go after people. You'd, you'd probably want to have built some safeguards into it so that it was only on command that it's doing whatever you want it to do rather than yeah. ravaging the trainers or <laughs> what have you. Exactly. Or, I mean, or you know, if it's if, imagine if you let these things loose and the perimeter of the um, you know the, the site, you don't want it attacking workers or anything like that. You want it to definitely be part of the deal. Yeah. But even so, the thing about the whole experimental deal is that you know. There was this thing called Project Headgear, where the CAA or one of these agencies tried to turn sharks into living torpedoes, re- remotely controlled. They spent eight years and $16 million trying to figure out how to electroshock a shark into swimming in towards a boat. And then the plan would be they would stuff it with explosives and the shark would swim over there and then they'd detonate the shark. Eight years, $16 million. And the conclusion was, this was a really bad idea. We should never do it. And... <laughs> But it shows you the mentality. And so whether or not they were successful or unsuccessful is not the question. The question is, is were they willing to try? And I think absolutely they were willing to try. I mean, like they were doing some, during the Cold War, it was all the gloves are off. They were thinking that they were saving existence itself. And so, yeah. Interestingly, this guy Bill Bear was a war hero, fought in World War II, and his specialty was amphibious warfare. And so that's just one of those details. It's kind of sort of adds the whole, you know, list of, you know, uh, I don't know, circumstantial evidence kind of, yeah, kind of thing. Well, I, I think I no, think, no. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, well, um, I was going to kind of move into another topic. If you want to continue on this one, then now's the time to get it in because no, I, I was just taking a different direction I, and feel free to do so. I just, w- I was just going to comment because it just came into my head. The, and I don't remember what the actual name of this dog is, but I, I know it as the Russian bear dog. And it, I was fascinated. Mm-hmm. Oh, by I've it. seen this thing. They're, they're giant and they're, they were bred to, to protect farms and ward off bears. And these dogs yeah. are very territorial and if they're but they're great pets because if you're part of the family they they're they're great dogs but if you're not part of the family if you're incoming from it's like be to you exactly and so but that's all breeding it was bred to be like that and so that was my my connecting thought i was just thinking like maybe maybe because if you're going to have something so big and mutant that like yeah. you have to have a way of controlling it. And the best way to do it is in the lab while you're making this to breed it a way where it's going to be docile. It's not going to have a natural inclination to, to attack humans and things like that. It's just going to, but it's going to be highly intelligent and we're going to be able to train it to do exactly what we needed to do. And it's just, it's just yeah. a thought, you know? So there's a couple of theories about its size. Um, so jaguars are notoriously the hardest of the big cats to train. Uh, lions, obviously, in every circus has got a lion. And it turns out that lions and jaguars can mate and 
in Canada, maybe it's a place called Bear Creek, they have a thing called a jag lion. So this lion and this jaguar were living in captivity together. Apparently they loved each other very much and they were two offspring. And one of them is this enormous black jag lion. And uh, you can see videos of it on YouTube. Um, but it shows you that they were, uh, why not interbreed these things? Some of the wilder theories are, you know, you look at this gravitational anomaly detection thing out there looking for anomalies in the space-time continuum. There's some folks that, you know, over a couple of beers will theorize that maybe they <laughs> pulled something back from the Ice Age to some kind of time warp type of situation. I mean, the notion that there are portals out here is we have a number of people have come into the store and told us those kind of stories. Um, so, but more interesting, I think where I was going to go a little bit earlier is that there have been UFO sightings around Hanford since the early 1940s. Autumn is upon us. And as we transition into the season, routines tend to get busier. With the kids back in school and our schedules packed with soccer practices and seasonal events, our homes often remain unattended and susceptible to security risks. In light of this, I wholeheartedly endorse Simply Safe Home Security and their groundbreaking home monitoring innovation 24 7 Live Guard Protection. This cutting edge solution is crafted to proactively stand in the way of criminal activities in real time. In the unfortunate event of an intruder gaining access to your home, Simply Safe's team of professional monitoring agents can not only see the situation, but also communicate with and deter the trespasser using Simply Safe's latest smart alarm wireless indoor camera. The 24-7 Live Guard Protection and the new Smart Alarm indoor camera integrate seamlessly within the Simply Safe system, providing comprehensive security coverage against break-ins, fires, floods, and more. For a limited time, get 20% off your new system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Visit simplysafe.com slash confessionals. That's simplysafe.com slash confessionals. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So Washington State, highest per capita UFO sightings, also highest per capita Bigfoot sightings anywhere in the country. But the very first UFO, um, like flying saucer th thing that set America on its path was the Kenneth Arnold sighting. This is a private pilot flying from the west side of Washington to the east side. He's traveling near Mount Rainier. He sees nine discs flying through the air. This is June of 1947. And um, reports them moving at speeds that are impossible for the time and basically they're flying from the north to the south and as he watches them disappear they're heading towards mount adams so that's the mountain that's you know 30 miles from my store and mount adams looks directly down at hanford like it's part of the whole geography of the area so you've got this and hanford has had numerous sightings of ufos around the nuclear facility itself so and i you know, I, I don't know what to make of UFOs, whether they're from another planet or from another dimension. I don't have any strong opinion about that. My, I tend to think that they're probably from another dimension because of the portal activity we see out here. Well, there is a place uh, just south of Mount Adams called East City Ranch. It stands for Enlightened Contact with Extraterrestrial Intelligence. James Gilliland has been out there for decades. And people come from all over the world, and you can 
hang out on his property, camp out there. And they watch UFOs fly around Mount Adams all night. People come skeptics and they leave believers. And so they claim to be in contact with a number of different extraterrestrial races. And one of those, one of the most important ones, apparently, because it's part of their logo, is they claim to be in contact with a race of feline humanoids. And um, so, again, like the weirdness of the gorge is kind of off the charts. Like there are so many weird things that um, are contributing to why this is such a hotspot. It was kind of like, you know, like when you're walking around the forest and you kick over a log and like you see all the creepy crawlies under there. Like that's been my experience here. Um, I should say that it's been utterly joyful. Like the idea of having a new Scooby-Doo mystery walk in your door a couple of times a week and getting a chance to chat with folks. Um, you know, we try to maintain a, a cheerful attitude towards all this. And to me, that's one of the ways to protect the staff is by maintaining a higher vibration about what we're doing and what we're up to and sort of not uh, having some of that negative energy, not perpetuating a negative energy type stories. And so, you know, when I say there's um, no reported negative or hostile encounters that may be an artifact of the way people report to us, you know, mm. but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's an astonishing place. And so I, I want to go back and explain a little bit of the geology because this is a theory that seems to make sense to me. So we've got, you know, we talk about this ape cat, but we've had reports of little people. We've had reports of strange uh, hominids, you know, like humanoids with like praying mantis-like heads. There's stories of these strange hairless dog-like creatures. Um, and some of them are just like one-offs, you know, like there's nothing that they're like in any literature I've ever seen. Just almost like there's this weird crossroads here where things pass through and, um, and either you stumble into that realm or they stumble into our realm. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but I'm trying to make sense of what I see here. And so 15 million years ago, so the river has been flowing for 30 or 40 million years. So there's a very strong current of energy running from the mountains into the ocean very established patterns, right? Then about 15 million years ago, this giant fissure opened in the earth at the Idaho-Washington border. It's 97 miles long and enormous volumes of lava start spraying out of it. So much lava that if you took all the lava that came out of it and you evenly distributed it across the lower 48 states, it would bury the entire United States 60 feet deep in lava. Well, this lava is erupting and it's very thin and ropey, sort of like the Kilauea lava as you see in Hawaii. And it eventually runs 300 miles from the Idaho border through the ancient Columbia River Valley at that time, all the way to the ocean. So it's a 300-mile flow. They estimate that there was over 300 flow events that occurred over a course of a couple of million years. So in the gorge, we've got this layer cake of rock, and they form these uh, bas like columnar basalt, sort of like people have seen the Giant's Causeway, that sort of columny hexagonal stuff that looks really weird well that's all through the gorge but it's built up in layers now this has a point and the point is is that so each of those layers as it's cooling the magnetic grains in it so all this lava has magnetic or iron material in it orients towards the earth's magnetic north pole at the time that it cools 
and it's locked in at that orientation. Well, the Earth's North Pole is always wandering. The last 100 years, it's wandered over 700 miles. And so the next lava flow that comes, as it cools, all of its grains orient to the new magnetic North Pole. So each one of these layer cakes, and in the gorge, you can probably see 20 or 30, maybe even 40 of them in some places. Each one of them has got a different magnetic signature to it. You add on top of that this gigantic flow of water that's been flowing here for millions and millions of years. And that flow of water is now captured by 14 dams, hydroelectric dams. And these dams produce 44% of all of the hydroelectric power in the United States. The dams on the Columbia can power a city the size of Seattle and seven more just like it. And so all of that Literally, the power of the river is converted into energy that we understand and use, and it actually fuels the whole digital information age, like Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook. They all have server farms out here using this energy from the Columbia River, and all of that is being dispersed through these you know, high-power, high-tension lines. And so we've got that added on to it. And then about 2 million years ago, you get the Cascade Mountains that start rising up. So we're talking about Rainier and Hood and Adams and St. Helens. And these mountains are over 10,000 feet tall, all of them. They're stratovolcanoes. And so you've got that horizontal flow of energy coming this way. You've got this really strong magnetic energy that's pushing vertically up against this. All of that is to say that this is an extremely complex and nuanced electromagnetic environment. I told you earlier that the government navigation maps warn you in bright pink letters that your compass readings will be off in this area. Um, and and then recently there have been these lava flows. There's this place called Broke Lake Barrows. It's this lava flow, 8,000 years old. It's an area the size of Manhattan. It's maybe 20 minutes from the store. Some of those rugged wilderness you're ever going to find, but cell phones and compasses just don't work there. Um, and if cryptids are hiding anywhere, you know, there's but one four by four track that goes in there and leads to these weird pools of water. But beyond that, like the rest of Manhattan is inaccessible. No one has even tried to make trails out there. It's like this crazy micro canyons and caves and jagged rocks everywhere. So this whole place is really, really energetically different. And I'm not saying that in a woo woo way. I mean, like when you're talking about hydroelectric plants, you're talking about actual energy that's being used to convert, you know, to things that we understand. The human brain has magnetite crystals in it. Um, Five million crystals per gram in some structures like the hippocampus and the temporal lobes. And there's a scientist named, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name. He created a thing. He's from Ontario. Um, And um, Michael Persinger is his name. He created a thing called the God Helmet. Basically, it's this helmet that you put on your head and it, is able to modulate magnetic fields. And people have had all kinds of experiences that don't seem to make sense, like sense presence. A few people have had the experience of, you know, talking to God. And so it's really clear. And his research is top-notch, peer-reviewed. He's written over 500, you know, scientific papers. The guy knows his stuff and no one questions whether his results are real. Like reporters have come and put on the helmet and have had these strange experiences. What I think is happening is that it's not so much that they're inducing hallucinations. What they're doing is they're shifting the human perceptive abilities. So you think about um, as we perceive things, 
we all understand that we don't see infrared or ultraviolet light. We recognize that there are sounds our dogs can hear that we can't hear. We know that radiation exists, but we don't sense it, um, you know, tangibly in a way that, you know, uh, without a Geiger counter. So think about the human apparatus has a very limited band of perception. There's a lot of other phenomena that are going on that we're completely unaware of at all times, like radiation or infrared or ultraviolet light. We're just not tuned into it. It's not a part of how we're set up to perceive the world. And I think what happens when you get this magnetic fields influencing you is you're able to shift your perception and you're now seeing or perceiving things that you don't normally perceive. It's not some type of fabrication of your brain. It's your brain now recognizing parts of reality that normally are unrecognizable. And we have this, like I said, this crazy, nuanced, very unique electromagnetic environment here. And I think what happens when you've got certain solar activity that's going on, you know, Im impacting our magnetosphere, that when the conditions are right and the person is right and they've eaten their potassium or whatever it is, they can stumble into a zone where their perception shifts and they're able to perceive things that they don't normally perceive. And we have one story that really sort of brought that home for me. Um, but I, I'm going to pause because I've been talking for a long time. I'll give you a chance to no, ask no, any questions. No, keep it going. Keep it going. <laughs> I want. I want to. So, hear, I want to hear what you. Yeah, I want to hear the story. So um, we had this really interesting report come in the story. This guy was living on Underwood Mountain. Underwood Mountain's about three, four miles um, west of the store. In fact, we can see it from the store. He's living there on the slopes of Underwood Mountain. It's about three thousand four hundred feet tall, and um, there's a lot of wineries up there. It's a really cool place. In fact, it's very close to where that first ape cat sighting occurred. So he sees these glowing orbs sort of dancing around in the sky in, above his field. Uh, they descend into his field and they turn into a set of glowing eyes and they begin approaching him. And like a switch, he was washed with fear. And it was not like it built up or something he was like, he talked himself into being scared. It was like, nope, someone flipped a switch and I was terrified. He ran to the house, got a shotgun, came back out, and the phenomenon was over. What's interesting is that Michael Persinger's work, he's able to do the exact same thing. He's able to flip a switch with those magnetic fields around the human brain and induce the sudden sensation of abject fear or bliss. And so that one story was like, ooh, there's something really interesting going on here. Like it's a switch flipping at the same time this person is having a, a paranormal experience. He's on Underwood Mountain, which is, again, so you've got those layer cake of rock and then a volcanic activity pushed it into a mountain. So this is a recent mountain that's formed. So all those layers that all have the different magnetic signatures are at angles to each other now. And he's standing there and he's perceiving this strange thing and he's getting emotion switched on and off in his brain. What's even cooler is that right above where he lives, we have pictures that were sent into the store of a tic-tac-shaped UFO floating right above Underwood Mountain. Like you could draw a line. And I myself have taken a picture of a glowing orb at the river level. So it's like, like a ladder going up 
Underwood Mountain. And so I've got these photos and it's this blue glowing orb. And, you know, I've been working with Photoshop since the day it was released on a professional level. I understand how I could have easily faked this orb. I know I didn't because I took the picture myself. And it is not a lens flare. It's not someone's headlights. Like I, I was there. I took the pictures. I was taking a picture of a strange beam of light that was coming down. And picture from two seconds before doesn't have the orb. There's the orb. And then picture two seconds after doesn't have the orb. And so, again, this is all in a straight line right on, right on Underwood Mountain. And, you know, these orbs are another one of the phenomena that we get a lot of reports about. My wife and I have seen them driving down Highway 14. So, again, I think that what's happening here is because of this unusual electromagnetic environment, under certain conditions, people's perceptive abilities shift and they're able to see things. And the reason why I don't believe it's a hallucination is that I have a photograph of the orb like it. And we've seen many other photographs of orbs. Some of them are clearly lens flares or cell phone anomalies and things like that. But some of them are very, very real and hallucinations are not captured on film. And so it tells me there's some kind of combination between things that exist in adjacent or nearby dimensions. And here, because we've had, you know, millions of years of apocalypse after apocalypse after cataclysm you know these enormous thousand foot floods and these lava flows you know that are hundreds and hundreds of feet thick now like the boundaries between worlds have somehow been worn thin here and things wander into our world like it's like actually it's maybe some type of crossroads or we wander into those worlds unknowingly and are perceiving things um but to me it's just what i love about it is like it's a place where there's still mystery. It's a place where all the questions haven't yet been answered. And what an amazing place to set up shop and, you know, sort of be the go-to guy for weird stories. Well, that's James Shuby, everybody. Wow. I'll tell you, like, I, I had no idea how much I would thoroughly enjoy hearing you talk today. I, I'm telling you, like, what you just said there at the end, it, it, I've been talking about, you know, the and, and I don't understand exactly what all the elements are at play at certain geographical locations in this country, but it does seem like there's a wearing thin of what we might call a veil or interdimensional veil, a spiritual veil. Uh, and and even this, this magnetic stuff, it, it kept taking me back to when we were at Skinwalker Ranch and we shot our film out there and it was like, there was a real topic of magnetic anomalies that was brought up by James Keenan. And uh, he mm -hmm. has been studying the ground out there and the magnetic anomalies. And with what you're saying, I'm thinking, does that have something to do with what people are experiencing out there? And is it the magnetic anomalies that's allowing things to traverse back and forth that we're able to see one minute and it's gone the next? It's just mm -hmm. very interesting. Uh, I wish I had more time today to talk to you, but this is great news for everybody because it means I have to have you back on. So uh, I would love to come back on. Th this I'm telling you, this we are going to have you back on because this was fantastic, and there's so much I want to talk to you about. We we just I feel like we just scratched the surface. We need to make sure we go a little deeper on the portals. I think you mentioned the word portal one time. I'm like, no, we need at least ten times. <laughs> so, um, but. I just want to let the audience know uh, there's portals, uh, small humanoids, UFOs, Sasquatch. Like we can go all over the place and it all circles around the Columbia River Gorge. And I absolutely love it. 
You're a wealth of information. And I appreciate you coming on today. Before we get out of here, though, let people know again about your store, where they can find you and all that Mm -hmm. good stuff. Yeah. So we're Margie's Outdoor Store, margiesoutdoorstore.com. We're on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. You know, I'm running three businesses and um, doing paranormal studies on the side. So we try to keep it up as much as possible. Um, Going on shows like yours is great because I really want to share like all of this mystery and wonder and like magic that's going on out here. I mean, to me, I'm living the dream. Like this is a completely enchanted landscape. So, um, but I'm one guy, you know, I, I'm, I'm fairly new to this whole paranormal research thing. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that other people who are better investigators with more experience will come out and play and see what's out here. I was so excited when your crew came out and I got to show them around. I mean, I was really what I could have given you guys a week's worth of tours of all the amazing places. Um, but please come out here, visit us, check it out, check out the website. Um, that's really the place uh, to get the most information is um, margiesoutdoorstore.com. Uh, people can file reports there. And uh, I'm getting, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the verge. I've been threatening people. I'm going to do a podcast to tell all these stories because we get, like I said, couple, three stories a week. And um, I feel this really compelling need to share what I'm learning with folks. So uh, call the podcast update from the gorge. And then just uh, <laughs> it's a weekly update of all the stuff that you've been told. I, I love it. I think it's great. Uh, the link for the website will be in the description of this episode for sure. Uh, and to be honest with you, I'm even more angry now that I didn't get to meet you when I went out there. So, I, I mean, it, it's just like, you're telling me that I could have primed my entire week off with you for a day? Like, this, like I'm mad. I, I'm, I'm legit mad about at American Airlines right now. So, they're, they're going to get an email from me threatening to sue them. So, <laughs> I'll tell you, man, I really do appreciate you coming on today. Oh, it's been a joy. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. I don't care where or how you share the show. Just share the show if you enjoyed it. That's the best thing you can do to help the show grow. Share the show. And until next week, friends, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first, it'll piss you off. Bye. I'm just a note according to them Trapped in encryption just trying to ascend Blending with bots, it's hard to pretend Swimming against the current of trends Sure, if what I
stylin'. We on Jekyll Island. Tax got us wildin'. Operation fillin' a blank that keep piling. Operation fillin' my tank, I'm still smiling. I'm not sure if what I believe is any.